The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Right now on Fast Holiday Blues, stocks selling off as fears rise. The Fed is going to tip the economy into recession. Big cap tech, semis, and retail all getting caught in the downdraft will hit, hit the charts to see where we could be headed from here. Plus, losing steam, or stream, shall we say. Shares of Netflix tumble on reports its ad-supported tier is off to a slow start. The slide putting a chill on the rest of the sector is a time to pull the plug on media and social stocks. And later, selling spree, Elon Musk dumping billions more of his Tesla stake. Is that the real reason shares have been crushed this week? Not that he's being driven to distraction by Twitter. We are revved up to debate this. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. We start off with a deep red sea on Wall Street. The Nasdaq dropping another 3-plus percent today, falling into the red for the week as markets digest the impact of yesterday's Fed decision. The S&P shedding nearly 2.5%. The Dow down as much as 950 points at its lows, clocking in its biggest decline in more than three months. All three indices on pace for their worst December since 2018. And take a look at the move in yields. The 10-year dropping back into the 3.4% range. It is down nearly 90 basis points from its October high. So does today's action suggest the Fed could tip the economy into recession? Just yesterday, I think we were pretty much across the board saying the markets should have had a much stronger reaction to the much, you know, hawkier uh, Fed speak coming out of the, the Fed, Dan. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, you know, those compressed time frames when that announcement comes out and then the presser and then people taking their time to kind of process it. We usually see this sort of overnight kind of reversal of maybe that first move that's been going on for a very long time. But, you know, your question is, Mel, you know, does the Fed's hawkishness push the U.S. economy into a recession? I think the consensus is that there will be a recession in 2023. And we've been debating this for a while. You know, what's priced into stocks right here? We know what's priced into yields. You know, the 10-year at three and a half right now is suggesting that, in my opinion. The stock market up 17.5% in two months from the mid-October lows was not suggesting that. It was suggesting something a bit more optimistic. And I guess when I look at today's price action, some of it should have happened yesterday. Some of it should have happened today. But down 2.5% in the S&P 500 feels like a big day. Down more than 3% in the NASDAQ feels like a big day. But we've come a long way. So if we were down near... 3,500 in the S&P 500, where we were in October, mm-hmm. and we had the Fed you know, speak that we had yesterday and the CPI print that we had the day before, I'd say we might not have been careening to new 52-week lows because at that point, down 25% or so in the stock market, maybe it encapsulates a bit of that kind of negativity about what could come in 2023. So I really do think it is about where we were two months ago, where we were just a couple days ago, and I think we probably, and this has been my call for a while, We're going to go back and test those October lows sometime soon. So I agree with Dan. I was very surprised yesterday's reaction. He was quite, quite hawkish. There was no, you know, ambivalence there. I actually thought, oh, the economic data out today was cool, right? Retail sales were definitely lower than expected. That that actually would have been sort of a counter bullish sign. 
right? Relative, okay, it's working. The economy's slowing. Right. It's not that he wants that to happen, but that it's a necessary byproduct of trying to tame inflation. So I was surprised that it was up, or I guess it closed flattish yesterday, maybe. Yeah. Surprised that it wasn't down a lot yesterday. Surprised how much it was down today. Really? Um, Guy, what you t- what'd you make of today's action? Well, yesterday we led the show. I said, if you had, again, you had told me all this was going to happen. I'd say yeah. the S&P's down 150 handles, and it was down 25 yesterday. So you basically do the math and would have been close. So it made perfect sense to me in the context of what we heard yesterday. And this is not Monday morning quarterbacking. I mean, I was scratching my head on the show yesterday. Like, what are people looking at here? Now it's sort of coming to fruition. And, you know, we talk about recession. I, I, again, I'm not an economist, but I will tell you it's my view that recession is the desired outcome of this Federal Reserve. I mean, that's what they want to have. They'll never say it, but I mean, that's what they need to happen. And, you know, you start connecting dots here. You need need unemployment rate to go to 5%. That's going to be when they pivot. But all those things are are not bullish in the near term for the stock market. Everything to get us there is going to create tremendous headwinds. Oh, and by the way, we get up there and we might not even see a pivot pivot. We could just see rates hang out there for an indefinite amount of time. Gross, I'll go to you because for a while you had been calling for a face-ripping rally to end the year. I guess that's up in smoke at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was also, you know, the first one that you called Mr. R for recession. I think we are in a recession. I think we're going to get a recession. I, I think it's a consensus thought that we're going to sell off. So, I, you know, I think we're all in the same camp that in 2023, the markets will be lower. What's going to happen between now and then? So we did have, you know, half of a face ripping rally when we're up 120 handles. But the market changes so quickly that I, I don't I don't I don't know. So maybe it is up in smoke. We're really burning daylight. It would be have to be an aggressive rally to get to forty three fifty in the s and I don't know. I, I don't think any of us know what news flow comes out right now. But we did. No one mentioned ECB today. I, I mean, that that's it was Powell and then it's ECB. So it wasn't as if we just had a strict delay on Powell. We had a constant news flow that wasn't great coming out of ECB today as well. So let's just give it another day or two and see where, you know, where the smoke clears. You know, it's funny, if you look at some of the big names uh, that were kind of leading to the downside today, and, and again, it's some of the biggest tech names, you know, Apple is really kind of given up a little bit. And we know that it's relatively, um, it's acted well um, compared to some of the mega caps here, but Amazon looks like it's poised to make a new uh, 52-week low. I know that Karen just mentioned that retail data obviously doesn't speak well for them. I know we're going to talk about digital ads and the headwinds there. That is very cyclical, right? And in many ways, consumer-related here. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, we talked about the the airlines all week and some of the things that we're hearing out of them. There's just not a lot of great signs for the U.S. consumer right now, and especially at a time where we're just starting to feel the the tightening economic conditions work its way through the economy. I mean, for all year, you know, the first rate hike in four years came in mid-March, right? And we were talking about the lag effect that it takes. And why did the Fed get so aggressive for those four consecutive meetings rating 3%, you know? I mean, that's what we're going to feel in the first half of this year. So whether it's a, a recession that is 
you know, over in two quarters, whether it lasts longer than the average one, whether the stock market on average goes down about 35% during a recession, we didn't get there yet. So we haven't had the confirmed recession. There was like a little recession, I think, you know, there was like explained away earlier this year. But one that is broad-based and consumer-led is the one I think that really hits the stock market and probably gets us back towards those October lows. Well, what historically has been considered cyclical, i.e. tech stocks, semiconductors, et cetera, are finally acting truly cyclically. But the question is, how uh, how much further do they have to go, Guy? I mean, if the 10-year yield continues to drop and we're at 3.45% now or thereabouts, that continues to drop, that's not a good signal. That That tells me that the reset on earnings goes down and then another notch and another notch the farther the 10-year yield goes down. Yeah, and that's a great point, Mel. And Carter Worth has talked about the the potential for yields to go lower, the dollar to go lower, the stock market to rally in the short term and then sort of follow suit. And, and that's exactly what you're outlining. The yields going down is not bullish. Don't, don't fool yourself and think that somehow magically 10-year yields now below 3.5% is some panacea for the stock market. And to your point about cyclical stocks, they've all of a sudden gotten expensive again. I'll give you again, NVIDIA is ground zero. You know, Tim mentioned last night, the stock's right over 70% since the October low. It is now trading close to 15 times revenues. That's once again expensive. And it's not to pick on NVIDIA. There are a lot of stocks like that that have bounced significantly that still face the same headwinds that they did pretty much the entire year. I always say, you know, it's not a monolith, right? We have names that are really still expensive and come down a lot, but they still have a lot, a lot to go. And Google, look, I've been wrong in Alphabet for a long time, but... To me, that's a very different story than I understand advertising slowing down, the economy will slow down, it will continue to slow down. That's a very different story to me than a high flyer like an NVIDIA or, I mean, any of the IGB stocks. Right. So do you think if Alphabet has corrected for the exposure to advertising for its heavy ties to travel, for instance? I mean, if we believe that the travel is going to pull back, they have a heavy exposure to travel because it was a reopening stock for some time because of the exposure to travel. So the reverse is true. Right. Um, but that's all That's all in there? I feel like at this price, if you back out the cash, a, a lot is in there. A really lot is in there. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, we just talked about consumer-oriented names. You know, Look at the outperformance we've seen of some enterprise-focused names like Microsoft and Oracle. We talked about the results earlier this week, and they've really outperformed the NASDAQ off the lows and many of these consumer-oriented names. And I guess if this starts as a consumer-led recession and we're talking about lower savings rate, higher credit, all the strain that we're seeing about being worked into the system, eventually, as we see unemployment tick up, that's the last thing. That's the thing that the Fed has not achieved yet, right? We still have unemployment below 4%. I think they may do the mission accomplished thing when we get upwards close to 5% or so. And I mean, not celebrating that we have 5% unemployment, but it may help them do their job as inflationary readings come down. And that's when the enterprise demand, I think, falls off a little bit. And that's probably also the next push lower for the stock market early in 2023. Let's dive deeper into the rates complex now with Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Jim, great to have you with us. Great to get your take. Um, Where do you think 10-year yields go in all of this? I mean, I don't know if, if when we started 2022, if I asked you where 10-year yields would end the year, I don't know if you'd come up with this number, given what the Fed was going to do. But where do you think they, they go in, in, in 2023? Well, I think the big issue with the, the long end of the yield curve is going to be the short end of the yield curve. Now, 10-year yields, as you pointed out, are around 350. And they're about 80 basis points below or eight tenths of a percent below the two-year yield. 
if the Fed is true to their word and they're going to raise rates to 5% and they're going to hold rates at 5% for most of next year, you can expect that the two-year yield will probably go above 5%. It usually trades higher than what we call the terminal rate or where the Fed stops. With the yield curve being so inverted at this point, it's almost like it's going to the short end is going to force yields higher. So where's the two-year note or where's the ten-year note go? I think it's going to be forced higher by higher short rates. The Fed's going to get what they want. They want higher rates. They want tighter financial conditions, and the, the short end of the yield curve can kind of drag the long end higher. Not a whole lot higher. I mean, it's not going to go to five percent or something like that. But, you know, we can make another run at four and probably go above four percent. Hey, Jim. So if you know, I know and the rest of the world knows that the Fed usually is slow to act and long to stay whatever they did. And there's a lag effect. How, how come they haven't learned their lesson and why will they stay too long? Well, they they have got to answer your question, how would they learn a lesson? They're actually relying on some new research that says that the lag effect is much shorter than they think, that the markets price it in immediately because of forward guidance. And this is kind of technical talk, but they think the lag effect is a lot shorter. The second thing is their focus right now is inflation. So while a lot of your discussion earlier on was about whether or not we're going to have a recession, which is real growth, whether or not that's going to impact earnings, which is real growth, they're focused on prices. And Jay Powell couldn't be more clear. He wants prices to go down. And if it takes a recession to get prices down, it takes a recession to get prices down. He won't say it, but that's where their focus is right now. So, Jim, is there a limit to inversion uh, to how much how much that that spread between the twos and tens? Because I'm just wondering if if the tenure could actually still go down and that in and of itself, you know, the deeper inversion and the tenure moving the way you're not you're saying it should move, but the opposite of that, if that will really be the forecast for a recession. Yeah, well, first of all, the, the inversion is at a 41 year extreme. You got to go back to 1981 mm -hmm. to find it the last time it was this extreme. No, there is no limit. There's no mechanical rule that says it can't keep inverting. But if you also think about uh, other development rates, and I'm thinking about Europe, Short rates in Europe, because of the ECB's hawkishness today, made a new high for the year. That tends to impact our market, too. So if they're trending higher, that's another pull in our market. And that's happening all across their yield curve as well. So, no, yeah, we could go 100 minus 150 or minus 200. There's no reason to do that. But when you're at a 40-year extreme and it is already screaming recession because it is so extreme right now, I think if the next move in short rates is higher, it kind of drags the long end screaming and kicking higher as well, too. All right. Um, Jim, thanks. Jim Thank Bianco, you. Bianco Research. Guy, what do you think? Tenure gets dragged higher? I respectfully disagree. Jim's forgotten more about this stuff than I know. But I will say that one of, my, one of the things I've been positing for a while is this thing's going to go to 1% inversion. And I thought it would get there in the form of 3.5% in the 10-year and 25 three and a half percent in the 10 year and four and a half percent in the two year. And we're getting pretty close. So I still think that's where we're headed. Ten years going to stay anchored because growth is so slow and two years going higher because inflation's out of control. And I think that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. All right. Let's take a closer look at where markets and rates are going right now. Chartmaster Carter Worth is with us. So, Carter, what do you see? Well, I think the first thing, you know, we all, what a tough game. 
humbling for all of us, always trying to be as good or bad as our last trade, but let's look at the charts and figure it out together. I have a long-term chart of the S&P, and, and you'll see the annotations there. That's the 2007 peak. We have the financial crisis low. And if you were to accept that channel, and it is the channel that the market ascended in from the 09 low, we blew out through the top ever so slightly, and now we're basically back at the midpoint. And the question remains, do we ultimately have to get to the lower band? And that lower band is numbers that you all have just discussed, that 3,200 plus or minus level. And uh, even if you don't go that low, do we even get into the lower band? And I think yes. So lower remains the thinking, at least from this seat. Let's go a little closer, a little more here and now. So. There is the past two, three years, and what is quite remarkable and at least happy for those who uh, can draw a straight line, so to speak, um, the market has adhered to these lines. Put in some arrows, and you'll see just how well in this next iteration, the market on the way up and the way down literally has responded to the penny uh, to those trend lines, and it has failed dramatically yet again in the past three to five sessions. So the here and now chart, the really up close and personal chart of the S&P, the question is, and you'll see that here, do we fill the unfilled gap at 38.18 um, from November 10? And that's only about uh, 1% to 2% lower, and I think that's a foregone conclusion. Uh, but you'll see that sort of minor triple top, you'll see the break-in trend, and to my eye, it just it's if you can use the word inevitable and you shouldn't or you can't, it's inevitable that we will get to that gap three, eight, one, eight as a minimum. Um, in terms of yields, and we got, I think I have two yield charts here. If you want to take a crack at that, this is the 10 year yield with no drawings, no judgments, no lines. Let's put some in. And what you'll see here is that here, too. Uh, respecting trends, minding one's lines is important that we bounced off that trend line beautifully. And then once you undercut, which has happened, you want to be on the other side of things. I'm in the lower yields camp and again, lower dollar camp and that stocks ultimately, and they are right, going to resume their downtrend that's been in effect since Jan 4. 3818, um, Carter, the, the level on the S&P 500, you say we, we will hit. That, though, is just a stop in a longer-term downtrend, correct? I think that's that, that has to be the conclusion. Or said differently, we know that trends are characterized by counter-trend moves. When you're advancing, you have sell-offs. When you're declining, we've been declining since Jan 4, we've had counter-trend moves, rallies. And is this anything other than that? We rallied from the June 16th low to the August 16th high, failed. And then we had the October 13th low. We rallied again till we started failing three to five sessions ago. And as of now, it can only be characterized what we saw October 13 to the peak of three days ago as a counter trend rally. All right. Carter, thanks. Good to see you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Uh, Steve Grasso, a move down to 3818 is basically on a percentage basis, a move like we saw today. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at a chart and you see the, first of all, the 3,300 was the level that stuck out to me that would around the pandemic levels, uh, pre-pandemic levels. We didn't get that far. That was the level I was calling for. So now when I look at this chart, we have stutter steps at 3,500 and 3,200. So if you draw your retracements from the pandemic low to the all-time high, those levels of 3,200 are probably in the cards, but when? 
Yeah, I just say they're probably in the car. That's the technicals. The fundamentals speak to something different, right? So all these headwinds to, to earnings growth are the thing, right? And so when we finally have companies taking down their guidance, analysts you know, downgrading their guidance, strategists bringing down the top-down guidance, that's the thing that probably causes those levels to be violated. And again, it's not like you know being doom and gloom or anything like that. It's just kind of putting all these pieces of the puzzle together. And we really haven't had take out the pandemic and the recession that we had there, we haven't had this sort of cycle to deal with. So again, you know, the S&P making a reversal on one of those counter trends that Carter just called it is not going to be the end of this thing because there's no easy fix for the economy in the near term because we haven't had the absolute effects of all those rate hikes. I know that sounds really redundant, but the market has a bit of a conundrum only down 18 percent from its all time highs. I don't want to be doom and gloom, but I'm going to throw this thought out there, and that is that we might not even see the full effects I and mean, we're not going to see it. We'll see it on a rolling basis, right? I mean, the lag effect or the lag effects. You might see the, the effect of 75 basis points on consumer spending. You, you'll gradually see it work its way through. There is no bell that is going to be rung when companies have reset their earnings expectations and are done with it. Yeah. That's the, I mean, I think that's one of the things that the market has to grapple with at this point. With the rates remaining higher for longer, those effects are going to be residual and, con, and continuous, mm-hmm. Karen. They will. But I think... We'll also see as things sort of work their way through, mm-hmm. we will see inflation come down. Right. Where, when do we get to that positive interest rates? I don't know. We're far, far, far away from that right now. All right. Coming up, stop sending us stuff. Why some retailers are asking suppliers to pause product shipments, the inventory overload facing the entire space. Plus, binging beatdown, Netflix having its worst day in nearly eight months. So should your portfolio be streaming elsewhere? That trade is next. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com, that's YahooFinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Netflix sinking more than 8% and reports of streaming giant's ad-supported tiers falling short of viewership targets. The company reportedly going as far as issuing refunds to advertisers. The stock putting in its worst day since April, leading the losses in the Nasdaq 100 index. What do you do with this one, Grasso? Yeah, so th- this is a pretty interesting chart. When you look at it, the 50-day moving average has been supporting this going back to October and if you if you want to really take it back, you can you can get to July where the 50 day has been support. The stock actually stopped ahead of the 50 day. It actually looks like a buy until it breaks the 50 day to me right now. A buy. Um, the report is is pretty concerning. I mean, if you if you believe it, they cite five agency executives saying that in some cases Netflix has only delivered 80 percent of the viewership that they promised. They are only paid when they deliver that viewership. Guy ad supported tier was supposed to be the catalyst, um, and it's not. Yeah, it was one of the catalysts without question. The other catalyst, at least you know six or seven months ago, was valuation, and we actually talked about and Carter brought this one up as well the potential for Netflix to fill in the gaps that they had on the upside. And those gaps were filled when we traded north of 300. And, you know, I know what Steve's looking at here, but I would submit if you really want to get granular on this one, it could do a back and fill all the way to 240, which would be a 50% retracement of that recent low this spring and the high we just saw. So I don't think Netflix, listen, it's not out of the woods, but I still think that some of the best days lie in store. I just think it's going to probably back and fill first. Yeah, I, I agree with Guy there. I mean, <clears throat> it's coming a lot, which is great. I'd love to buy more, but then I'm looking, wow, it's still pretty expensive. Something about, I mean, they, that, that ad tier, they got that out so quickly. It's true. Right? And so it wasn't quite ready. And the, when they had to give money back, it, it, it said that because a lot of the advertisers were like, we got to spend for Christmas. And they said, you know what, we'll just give you the money back. We won't do make, you know, make, make goods. goods. Uh-huh. We'll just give you the money back, which is sort of a good corporate citizen thing to do. They do that from time to They're time. They're for the long game. Remember in the pandemic, if people mm-hmm. weren't using their Netflix, they said, well, turn it off. We don't need you yeah. paying the bill. So I, I want to give them a pass on that because... They're generally really good at execution, but the valuation is still too high. Yeah, I'd just say any excitement about that ad tier, what they were going to be able to, to kind of capture as they kind of crack down on the password mm-hmm. sharing and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it was kind of in the stock's 100% move off of its lows. And, you know, I'll just say this. i got to go back to the year 2000 or maybe some banks in 2007, 8, where you've seen a 75% peak to trough decline from an all-time high, the way this stock had from January to its lows in May. So, you know, the, the fundamentals are still very much in flux on this story. And I guess the other story is not about what they're trying to capture in ad supported is also the headwinds to digital ads. You know, Jeffrey's right. had a downgrade today of, um, I think, Snap and Trade Desk and just talking about the, the secular or the near term headwinds to a strong secular trend. But right now, I think the stock up, you know, nearly 90 so percent from those recent lows is probably like, you know, it's probably a battleground right here. And I would suspect guys 240 is probably in the cards in the next few months. All right. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. A bah humbug holiday. 
So much for stocking stuffers. Retailers are so overstocked, they're sending stuff back. What that means for your gift-giving season and for the companies trying to clear their shelves. Plus, an EV reprieve. Tesla shares sitting idle after a rough couple months. But is there more pain ahead? The traders are kicking the tires on that one. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Fewer than 10 shopping days until Christmas. Yes, that's a countdown clock. And retailers have one wish, for suppliers to stop sending new products. The stocked-up stockpile is a residual effect of supply chain problems in 2021. The average amount of inventory held by the 20 biggest public apparel companies was up 26% in the third quarter compared to pre-pandemic levels, according to a report by Alex Partners. And retail stocks feeling the pain, Nordstrom, Kohl's, Target, others all seeing hefty losses this month. Bah humbug, it says in the prompter. I'm game. I'm always game for a good, you know, funny thing. Um, Karen, yeah. this means great discounts for consumers. It does. It doesn't mean it means not great margins. Not great margins right? for the retailers. For still. the retailers and uh, probably good for TJX. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of inventory and uh, very good prices. So um, there's some really bad inventory situations out there. Right. I think, you know, Target, I think, is one of them. Um, so we're going to see a very promotional Christmas. I'm hoping that Nike sort of feels like they've they've gotten a handle on it. Right. There's still some inventory, but they're going to get through it. So I think the good names will end up being okay. Right. Um, Guy, you're smirking. I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's just his face. You know, we talked, to, resting we talked about face. Lululemon the other day. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I definitely, it's better to have a resting smirk face than the other one that I'm not allowed to say. No, but Lululemon, which I think we've all championed is one of these great, and they are, by the way. Their inventory was up, wait for it, 84% year yeah. over year. That's against like a 28% sales growth. So, you know, maybe Tiny Tim can get himself a couple of those Lululemon boxer shorts that I wear, but it's not good. They all suck at it. I mean, literally... None of, them have, none of them have navigated this particularly well. So it doesn't augur particularly well for some of these retailers, for sure, in terms of the stocks, at least. You actually sold, Karen. I did. On I, that. I hated that inventory. Yeah. I feel like, you know, they're going to have to be promotional. Right. Um, one that hasn't traded well that I think had the inventory in pretty good shape was Foot Locker. Mm. The bright side, though, is that maybe this will all be cleared out by spring, Grasso, and this will put them in very good shape to have spring inventory that isn't old, that hasn't been sitting around, and can be full price. Sure. I guess that's the glasses half full way to look at it. Another name that that Karen, uh, in addition to TJ Maxx, nobody really talks about is Ross stores. They they, uh, benefit from the same dynamic that a TJ Maxx would benefit over inventories and, and uh, capturing all that glut. But a name that I've spoken about for, I guess, years now has been Capri. And this one 
has bounced from 38 recently all the way up to 58 in a straight shot. This is also a premium brand. So if you're in retail, if you're in retail, stick to the premium brand name. So not all of them are going to suffer from that same supply glut. There, you can get granular on these names. So you either go really high end or really low end. All right, coming up, shares of Tesla holding up in today's sell-off. So is the EV pain coming to an end, or should you brace for more negative charge? Plus, a rough day for Roblox shares tanking after reporting some weak metrics. But could uh, the move give options traders a level up? The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on today's big market sell-off. Stocks dropping across the board on increased fears. The Fed's right hand. Right ha- rate hikes, excuse me, are pushing the economy into a recession. Retail sales also coming in worse than expected. The Dow dropping more than 760 points. That's its worst day in three months. The S&P and Nasdaq also falling sharply. So what worked today? Only a few names in the S&P able to close out in the green. Lennar, DR Horton, Align Technology leading the gains. And a couple of healthcare movers, shares of Gardent Health dropping after it said a DNA blood test detected 83% of colorectal cancers, less than a rival exact sciences colleague that identifies more than 90% very big percent moves there in the after hours. Tesla, meantime, one of the only two positive NASDAQ 100 stocks today, but don't get too excited. Tesla is still one of the index's worst performers so far this week, down almost 12%. CEO Elon Musk dumping almost $3.6 billion worth of stock this week. And our next guest predicts more trouble ahead. Danny Moses of the Big Short fame is founder of Moses Ventures. He is shorting Tesla. Still, not enough for you. Not enough yet. No, not enough yet. What, what, what more is there here? Well, it's still a $500 billion company, and uh-huh. I don't think that the fundamentals justify that valuation. And listen, if I was a, as good at this trading stock as Elon Musk was, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be taking a vacation somewhere because he has sold now $40 billion over the last 13 months as we move lower here. So. Yeah, even if you put the short on when Elon Musk made the bid for Twitter, you would be in very good shape. I'm just wondering at this point, as you see the story unfold, what makes you so confident that there is more downside here? Is there something very concerning to you that's happening So I think here? that a lot of the stock price has been about his brand, mm-hmm. and we've seen that now get hit a little bit. And if you're a fundamental investor and you like Tesla, great. But I think still at this valuation, there's a lot of headwinds coming for the economy on a macro basis. Yes, they were early in EV. Yes, they were the best or maybe still are the best, if you want to call it that. But a lot of competition's coming and we're going into recession, it appears. So this is not immune from a normal economic cycle. And I still believe that on a fundamental basis, it's still very rich. Yeah, just to be really clear, I mean, you know, you didn't short the stock today, right? I mean, the stock's had like a big move here. You've been short. You've had a fundamental reason for the short. And I think that, you know, as I've been talking to you over the course of this year, I mean, what's happened with Elon, it really is about him not being at Tesla. I mean, when you think about how much of that $500 billion market cap is encapsulated in his association with it, is the the Twitter thing and, and some of the other stuff that's going on in and around it, is that a big part of it? Because if he is a big part of this valuation, and he's not likely to maybe have the same focus he's had in years past, is that part of it? Yeah, he's running three, four, five companies, big companies, three very large companies at this point. And so there's a lot of, obviously, that he has to deal with. And if he's getting margin called, if that's the reason that he's been selling stock here, whether he's going to replace some of the debt, the unsecured debt, $3 billion that we heard about in the papers a couple weeks ago, we haven't seen a reason yet that he's sold over $7 billion, stock, $7 billion worth of stock over the last couple of weeks and months. So 
you know, that's on top of the $33 billion that he had done before. So it still remains to be seen. And I just think people, if you're a Tesla shareholder, and you can, I have nothing against people being long it, you're getting frustrated here because his attention span is being compromised. And I think they want him to focus on the business. And maybe the business isn't growing like it used to. And that would be the reason to stay short. But to your point, Dan, I'm not adding here. Um, obviously, that's not a smart thing to do. It's, it's down a lot. But put it in perspective. It's a 15 for one split is what this has gone through in the last, you know, the five for one and the three for one. This stock is still the equivalent of over $2,000 on an apples to apples basis from four or five years ago, from the time that 420 was the funding secured. So put that in perspective. And the last thing I'll say is, I think when stocks go down like this, that I don't believe trade on fundamentals, it makes you take a better look at what the fundamentals are. If it doesn't trade on that, what is the buying point? I don't know. Right. And, and then you layer in on it, you know, the question about just PEs in general in this sort of investing environment, Danny. So I'm, I'm wondering how you think about the markets now in light of what the Fed did yesterday and these, you know, supposedly high growth stocks or at least valued like high growth stocks. It's very frustrating. I think people that watched the Fed yesterday and saw that they're not either seeing what we're seeing. But again, this is a Fed who said inflation uh, was transitory, right? And now they're erring on the other side, I believe. But I think the noise of the Fed, whether it's 25 basis points, 50 or 75 more to go, I think we're going to shift to your point, Melissa, in the new year on fundamentals of companies. Because to me, that's going to move to the backdrop. Will there be a point where they stop? Yes. Will there be a point where they cut? Yes. Do I think they get over 5%? Not a chance in terms of Fed funds. So I think we'll have a lot of back and forth with that. But I think the shift is quickly moving to fundamentals. And that's why I still like the Tesla short. I always ask you this. Are there any new shorts out there that you're excited <laughs> about? Or are you more inclined to be long at this point? I'm more inclined to be long and find mm-hmm. good cash flowing companies, uh, don't have a lot of debt on their balance sheet, can have pricing power in this type of environment. And there always are going to be those. And I tell people all the time, if you're looking at an ETF, stop with the ETFs and find an individual stock. If you look at the bank index in the XLF, do I want to own Bank America, Wells Fargo? Maybe not. But are Goldman, is Goldman Sachs a great company that trades very well in this type of environment? Sure. So I think you need to be a stock picker in this environment. And it excites me that there's opportunities, especially on the long side, that I think are going to come. Danny, always good to see you. Thank you for coming by. Danny Moses, a big short fame guy. It's easy to see why Brad Pitt portrayed Danny Moses in the big chill. I mean, that's a <laughs> handsome man right there. <laughs> He's blushing. Nice. He's I'm blushing. blushing. Always nice guy. I appreciate it, buddy. You brought back with the guest, by yeah. the way. Anyway, <laughs> what, do think, what do you think of trades? I'm sorry. Did no, you, look, Tesla traded down. I heard, I heard guys say big chill. I thought it was a different movie. So if I, if I look at the chart of Tesla, if I look at the chart of Tesla, you got to go back to November of 2020 to find support here. So I agree it can go lower. But I feel as if every time we count Musk out, he pulls another rabbit out of the hat. So I wouldn't be buying it tomorrow, but maybe around 135, 140. I just I just think that what Mark Field said the other night, that you can get a Tesla now in six days or order one and build one and get it in 30 days. I think that's a tailwind because he's cutting through supply chain issues that are hurting most other companies. So I'm not willing to say it's over for Tesla just yet. Oh, let me just play devil's advocate for one second. Is that not a headwind that, wow, there's no line. You can just get one in six days. Like no one wants one. Yeah, I, I get it, but there was so much talk about it, and I get it. We can go from a drought to a glut. That's the same thing that happened to semiconductors. 
and, and everything else. But once, as Melissa used the analogy of, of retail, once people start to get back to spending again and realize chicken little, the sky's not falling as quickly as we thought it was, they're going to want to make bigger purchases again. And Tesla seems to have the stock to, for them to buy. All right. The only thing I'll just say is we just spent a whole block talking about what high inventory has meant for the retail space. And this is a space that's been supply constrained for two plus years or so. And we also saw Morgan Stanley bringing down their estimates for demand for EV in general. We know how important China is for Tesla right now. Europe's in a recession. High supply for these guys right now is an absolute disaster for this story, in my opinion. And I think you could probably overshoot that 140 level if that does prove to be the case anytime soon. Brad, put aside, Guy, um, your quick take on where Tesla is. We've been saying it's going to go to 150 for quite some time. It got down to 153.28 today. You had a huge volume day the other day. So you could get one of these um, bear market bounces in a name like we saw a few months ago. But mm -hmm. Danny's spot on, and he's been spot on for a while. So I think if you do get that rally, you sell that sucker again. Coming up, Roblox sinking hard after reporting disappointing user numbers. Is it game over for this name in the video gaming stocks? That trade is next. And more on the crushing crypto landscape, where our next guest is pointing to the grayscale Bitcoin trust, GBTC, and its role in the crypto collapse. The details ahead when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Roblox shares dropping nearly 16% after the company said revenue growth plunged in November. Bookings grew in the mid-single digits last month compared to more than 20% the year before. They also reported slower user growth last month, with revenue per user falling as much as 9%. Roblox and Unity Software have been two of the biggest losers in the video game industry, down more than 70% each year. Um, Grasso, quickly on Roblox, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this opens up the only support I see in these names. Forget about the fundamentals because no one can understand. I, I, I never really even got the stock ever. So it's way, way above my intellectual capability. But when I look at it on a technical level, 21, 23 looks like support. But there's no there's nothing fundamentally that means that it should stop at 21 or 23. Yeah, there's one options trade that. Uh in agreement with Grasso, more downside in the stock is what it says. Mike Coe has the action on that. Mike. Really heavy volumes in the name today. Well over three times, almost four times average daily put volume. And one of the trades we saw was the January 22 and a half puts. Traders there risking close to 3% of the current stock price on a bet that it's going to drop at least 20%. That would be looking right at those levels of support that Steve was just talking about. Thank you, Mike. For more options action, tune into the full show. That's tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, the FTX ripple effects, what the collapse means for the grayscale Bitcoin trust. Stick around. More Fast Money in two. The ripple effects of FTX's collapse being felt across the crypto space. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust trading at a record discounted net asset value this week, nearly 50 percent. Could GBTC's struggles be another potential negative catalyst for this industry? For more, let's bring in Ram Aluwalia, the CEO of Lumita Wealth Management. Um, Ron used to be head of crypto and digital assets over at Cross River, so you're very familiar with the space, Ram. Um, first to the GBTC. It has traded at discount for a very long time on the premise that that discount would close once GBTC is converted to an ETF. This is a whole other story here when we're talking about a 50% discount. What do you think that signals? That's right. So there's lack of confidence in the conversion to an ETF, mm -hmm. in part because SEC Chair Gensler in November of last year denied the conversion. That's one. Two, there's also concern that 
DCG, which is one of the largest owners of GBTC, may be forced to sell GBTC into the market because they've got $2 billion in debt owed in part to their subsidiary, Genesis Lending, and other creditors. So basically, it owes its subsidiary. Its subsidiary loaned it $2 billion. That's correct. And that's right. That's right. So Genesis Lending was the world's largest crypto prime brokerage. Mm -hmm. It took in short-term liquid deposits from, say, the Gemini Earn program. Gemini is the exchange started by the Winklevoss. And then it made long-term illiquid loans to hedge funds such as Three Arrows Capital. And Three Arrows Capital blew up. Why? Because they were betting on the discount to close and financing that with leverage from whom? Genesis Lending. Incidentally, DCG, the parent company of Genesis and Grayscale, also bought $780 million worth of GBTC. They're making the same trade, and they also borrowed from their subsidiary, Genesis. They bought an average purchase price of $40. Now it's $8, unrealized loss of 80%. So they can, can they hedge any of that loss? Some amount is Bitcoin going down and some amount is the premium obviously moving. Are they short Bitcoin? Is there any way for them to They're, lessen so this situation? DCG's financials are private. Uh, they could have attempted to hedge that, but they were betting on the price of Bitcoin going up right. and the and, discount and, closing. Or maybe even going to a premium. That's correct. And the premium had been in place since the inception of GBTC from 2017 to right. 2021 from between 30 35%. And that's what started this whole dynamic and the first leg of contagion, the first domino to drop, because it created the perception of arbitrage. You could buy Bitcoin, mm-hmm. commit to deliver in six months to the Grayscale Trust, and you would capture the premium six months later at the time of delivery. So now, fast forward, 2021, peak bull market, billions of dollars getting financed on Bitcoin. Genesis is enabling that, and people are betting on the super cycle thesis for Bitcoin. The discount closes. Why does it close? Because prior to Coinbase, GBTC was the most convenient way to access Bitcoin in your brokerage account. With the Coinbase IPO and other on-ramps coming on, it became easier to access the spread closed and then widened. So this all sounds like a terrible game of musical chairs. Absolutely right. So what do you think, what what do you think happens? You don't have any skin in the game right now, but you have um, seen a lot of these, uh, you've you've seen uh, uh, BlockFi's books, right? I mean, you, you were in a position before at Cross River to be familiar with these companies. Well, I, won't, I won't comment on the books, but yes, sure. I, in my role at Cross River, I built the crypto business. I interacted with BlockFi, Three Arts Capital, a number of these institutions. And you could see that, of course, they want short-term funding from a bank, but they're really capital markets businesses that are taking depositor money. These deposits are not FDIC insured but they look like a deposit account with high yield. And they're turning around and lending to hedge funds, uh, but they have a veneer of a neobank. And that's not sustainable. And of course, BlockFi incurred a $100 million fine from the SEC. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ron, we gotta leave it there. Thanks for coming on. Pleased to be here, thank you, Melissa. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trades, Steve. One GPG worked its way back to 100. Guy. Brad Pitt. I mean, DHI, Melms. You know he's watching.
<laughs> Karen. Oh, no, Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt, oh, of course. <laughs> okay. Um, volatility index. I sort of can't believe it's here. I know it was up a lot today, but I think it should be a lot higher. So VIX on VIX. Dan Nathan. I agree with that. I'm actually long VIX calls. Wow. Uh, You're with that? Karen. Yeah. That's what makes you feel wow. Karen. So we were talking about stocks um, and sectors that might do well, might not do well in a high rate environment. I think XLP consumer stables don't do well in this environment. I'd be a seller. All right. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.